Nisambo Lerunaka, you're listening to Pacific Waves from RNZ Pacific, Ngo Okoroi Hawkins. Coming up... We've seen videos of people being hacked in broad daylight in a very public area. Amid reports of worsening violence, Commonwealth observers echo Papua New Guinea's election complaints. Also, Australian and New Zealand business owners are being urged to look at the Pacific as more than just a holiday destination. A fundamentally important region for New Zealand in just about every aspect you care to name, but it's also a really important uh, economic and trading partner. And later on in the programme... We had no voice. We had no other outlet except the people we, that contacted us. We hear more about a Tokelauan family refusing the COVID-19 jab on Nukunonu Atoll. There have been a number of groups, both local and international, who have been monitoring the increasingly fractious elections in Papua New Guinea. One, the Commonwealth Observers, has now released a scathing interim report on what its monitors have seen. They are pointing to flaws in the Electoral Commission, underfunding by government and widespread criminality. RNZ Pacific's correspondent in Papua New Guinea, Scott Waide, told Don Wiseman that these observations echo what many Papua New Guineans have been saying for a long time. Many people have been calling for reforms uh, since the 2012 elections because these issues that we faced in this election were evident in the 2012 election and the 2007 elections. And uh, many people had raised concerns about the electoral rolls, the frustrations that people were feeling and the dissatisfaction and the distrust towards the government, successive governments and the Electoral Commission. Many felt that the Electoral Commission had not done its job well, that it was ill-equipped and the work on putting the role together and the census that we were supposed to do and uh, didn't quite do too well was inadequate. The work being done was inadequate. And when the by-election that happened in Port Moresby after Sir McCary Morauta's death happened, there were already, you know, serious warning signs and people were saying, you know, the 2022 elections would be troublesome. And that's exactly what happened and, and what's been happening over the last few weeks. The buck has to stop with the government, doesn't it? Yes, it has to stop with the government. The budget is passed in November, in the November session, and there'll be another budget passed in the November session. Many people will be watching the budget, hoping to see some improvement in the funding going to the Electoral Commission. And it's not just about allocating money in the budget. The money has to actually reach the accounts of the Electoral Commission so that they're able to do the work. And and within the Electoral Commission, you know, they've done their best to reform their organization. They've done their best to include a lot more women in the top management position, they've done their job. Uh, I guess it's the appointment of the head of the Electoral Commission that's always a controversial issue, and that's dragged on for many, many years. And the organization is a constitutional office, and it has to be treated with a lot of respect and given that integrity that uh, it deserves. Normally, the Catholic bishops have come out and said that if the government doesn't correct things now, they're not going to have any credibility going forward. The government's credibility, I mean, this government's credibility has taken a huge, huge hit in the last, you know, six months. And, you know, it's a a build-up from the last five years, well, the last three years at least, because when James Marapit took over as Prime Minister from Peter O'Neill, people were expecting decisive decisions to be made uh, and the issues that were in existence to be correct. And so far, people have lost confidence in what they've seen so far. You know, it's not my opinion, it's, it's public opinion that's being echoed. And with the elections, people have expressed a lot of anger. But having said that, the problems that we're facing now is not 
just this government's problem. People can't blame this government for all the problems that happened in this election. It's a 30-year-long problem that we, we should have solved, and we had opportunities to fix it, but we just didn't do it. There are various, various other, other offshoots to this story. I mean, you look at the PNG Defence Force. The PNG Defence Force hasn't been equipped as well as it should over the last 20, 30 years. The police force has undergone reforms, but it still has its own problems. So, you know, the population has grown. Uh, security, internal security needs to be managed, but we just don't have the capacity to do it. And there, there hasn't really been, and I've said this many, many times, that there hasn't been the political will to fix the defense force, to increase the number of men and women in the defense force, to equip them properly, and also to do the same with police. You look at police housing, police housing is is in a terrible state, and a lot of policemen are, are living in settlements and coming to work. So it's a whole set of problems that have contributed to what we've seen in the last 30 Hours. To what extent have things got really bad over the last day or so? Well, we've seen videos of people being hacked in broad daylight in a very public area. This is just in front of a large shopping mall next to the counting centre, the Sir John Guy Stadium, where you know hundreds of people are there. So it's in broad daylight. Police numbers were stretched when all this happened. There were many, many people there. They, everyone witnessed it, was filmed. So this is very disturbing for many people who live in Port Moresby, sort of understand the crime situation in Port Moresby. But this is a whole new level. And it's election-related, done by supporters of two different candidates. And many people are saying this is the worst election that we've seen. Well, the writs are due back very shortly. So how is counting getting along? We've had a one or two results, but are they going to be able to get the writs back on time? Usually in almost all the elections that I've covered, uh, writs don't come in on one day. Many come in on the day that they're supposed to, and then a few others are given extensions. For example, the Finchafen electorate, they had a delay in polling, and delay was due to an argument, a dispute over which electoral road to use, the 2017 or the 2022 one. So that delayed counting. You look at Kabum district in the Morbe province where people were so dissatisfied and distrustful of the electoral commission, they attacked the counting centre and, and destroyed ballot boxes. Uh, the same with Makam and in Enga where ballot boxes were hijacked and destroyed. So those electorates might see a delay in, in the return of writs or they might be declared failed election well not Finchaf and Finchaf has gone into uh, counting already and the MP's been de- declared. But other electorates that have faced serious trouble and they've had to be either relocated or the counting delayed, you know, th- those electorates might come in a bit late. As more and more Pacific countries reopen their international borders, business owners in New Zealand and Australia are being urged by the ANZ Bank to see the region as more than a holiday destination. Samoa was one of the first countries in the world to close its borders to try and keep COVID-19 out of the community. It reopens next month after well over two years without international visitors. I'm joined by the country head of ANZ Samoa, Bernie Port, and New Zealand's Trade Commissioner for the Pacific, David Dewar. Welcome on Pacific Waves. Maybe starting with you, Bernie, tell us about this call and how you've been working together with David to get the message out there. So uh, uh, Dave gave me a call and uh, said we had a lot of businesses in New Zealand that uh, were interested in what's happening in Samoa. Um, and could we put a bit of a webinar together just to uh, give the New Zealand businesses an opportunity to hear firsthand of where we're at. Now, it's obviously a really exciting period for Samoa. We've been uh, locked up for the last couple of years like the rest of the world. 
uh, and borders opening on the 1st of August. It kind of feels a little bit like Christmas is coming. Uh, there's a real buzz about the place. Uh, you know, we're one week out, um, super exciting time. So, so I might just add to that. Um, uh, this is part of a um, program of uh, webinars that we at New Zealand Trade and Enterprise have been offering in collaboration with ANZ Bank and also with the Pacific Exporters Network in New Zealand. Um, uh, we've been working with ANZ's uh, country heads in the various Pacific markets um, and drawing on their expertise um, and um, on the ground knowledge of what's happening in the uh, in the market economies out in the Pacific. Um, and we've been offering these webinars to interested businesses from New Zealand, from Australia, uh, and from around the region. So as, uh, as these markets um, reopen, um, following COVID, we're getting a really good sense and our businesses are getting a really good sense of um, what the economies are doing and some of the, the opportunities that are out there. Um, one of the key messages that we've been making from New Zealand Trade and Enterprise is that the Pacific is, of course, not only a, a fundamentally important region for New Zealand um, uh, in just about every aspect you care to name, but it's also a really important uh, economic and trading partner uh, as well. And so these webinars have been a really good opportunity to reinforce some of those opportunities um, uh, and, and some of those um, uh, things that New Zealand businesses can be well positioned to take, um, you know, to, to partner in on as these borders reopen. Uh, just going over some of the sectors, um, uh, obviously people are always aware of tourism, aware of the common sort of Pacific business models, but there there are, it is quite a, a, a wide portfolio, isn't it, in terms of what you can do with business in the Pacific? It's incredibly varied. I, th I think um, this is one of those um, facets of, or one of the realities about um, New Zealand's trade with the region that you know, businesses that are working in those areas, they understand, um, but it's not so well understood, I think, outside of that um, immediate trading community. Our trade links with the Pacific are incredibly broad, uh, and New Zealand businesses are represented in just about every single economic sector, whether it's infrastructure or manufacturing, um, uh, through to, of course, the travel and tourism sector, which you're right, Koro, it, it that does account for a huge percentage of the trade. Um, but if I look at our goods exports, for example, which is still about 40% of the uh, you know, pre-COVID trade, um, there's everything from mechanical machinery, electrical machinery, um, through to fruit and foods and um, beverage trade as well. So a really, really broad export um, and trade portfolio, um, which is just fast, fantastic and exactly what you want to see in your trading partners. Yeah, uh, Bernie, uh, for, for Samoa with the reopening, sort of, is it, is has there had to have been much of a, a change to the way that you're doing things or um to make it as you as you prepare to reopen maybe just comment on pre-covid to now um emerging yeah sure so uh, if we go back to 2019 so the best tourism year that samoa's had uh, 190,000 visitors everything was going great and then uh, unfortunately we had burst the measles um, epidemic, which was uh, absolutely tragic for Samoa. Um, our borders shut down in November, December. And then we became the first country in the world outside of China to show close our borders for the prevention of COVID. Um, so that was January 2020. Um, it's been really hard for the tourism operators. Um, you know, they've had to uh, switch their operating models move back to uh, a local uh, tourism offering, uh, which is a really limited market in a country like Samoa. So, you know, they've struggled um, and the banks have had to do a fair bit of the heavy lifting to get them to this date. Um, 
the last couple of months, it's about, you know, restaffing, uh, testing equipment, uh, uh, redoing kitchens, air conditioners, everything you possibly think about in the resort. And, you know, we're, we're probably lucky in some respects. We've learned some, some of the lessons from uh, some of the tourism operators in Fiji and the Cook Islands. Um, and, you know, we think we're 100% ready to go come uh, 1st of August. So we're looking forward to welcoming a lot of people. Awesome. Thank you so much. Um, I guess the, the initial press release was about not just looking at the Pacific destinations as as sort of travel destination, but but also places to invest. Why is that message necessary? Like for for me sitting where I am, I thought that would be like obvious. But it, it, obviously, is there a bit of a disconnect? Is there? Yeah, I think for a long time, uh, Kiwis and Aussies referred to the Pacific as a tourism destination. Right, it's a lovely place to go for a holiday. White sandy beaches, coconut trees, and lovely people. So why wouldn't you want to go and visit? But you know, the Pacific countries are much more than that, as Dave alluded to. You know, for Samoa, tourism makes up 25-30% of the total economy. So part of the webinar was trying to, you know, tell people, you know, there's half a billion dollars in projects and they're going to hit the, the ground here in the next 12 to 18 months, um, including major sporting events. We're talking about hosting the Rugby Nines uh, tournament for the next 10 years here in Samoa. We've got Chogham uh, will be held in Samoa in the beginning of 2024. Um, you know, there's roading, there's new resorts going in. There's a lot of things that are happening here on the ground. So, um, and it's an opportunity for, you know, uh, businesses in New Zealand and Australia to partner with uh, local businesses and be part of what I believe will be one of the real growth success stories of the next sort of two to five years. Vinaka, Bernie and David. And for anyone interested in hearing more of this Talanoa, a full extended version of the interview will be uploaded to our website, rnzi.com, and be available also on the Pacific Waves podcast via Spotify, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. In Tokelau, a family that refused to get the COVID-19 vaccination last year and have been under Tunoa, which roughly translates to house arrest for 11 months, have refused to get vaccinated once again. While Tokelau maintains its COVID-19-free status, tough measures have been implemented by local council members and village elders to make sure it stays that way. At a meeting last week, the family was told they would have another chance to get the jab and have since declined. RNZ Pacific reporter Lydia Lewis has the story. RNZ Pacific correspondent Elena Pasilio drove across Tokelau's largest atoll, Nukunonu, just so we could interview the father of the family under Tunoa. <laughs> Mahelino Patelesio was hesitant to speak. Elena is related to the family, so did not want to write the story herself. Would you guys like me to go get credit for you guys? On speakerphone, Mr. Patelesio told us about the struggles his family has faced since they declined vaccination and were placed under Tunoa. My request was to be able to get our own supplies from across the lagoon, from our customary land and not to rely on fam- other family to, to make that effort for us. We wanted to help ourselves and not get in the way of anybody else. I thought that was reasonable. A request that he says has not yet reached the village elder. To me, 
we had no voice. We had no other uh, outlet except the people we that contacted us. So he says he gladly shared the story with an anti-vax group on social media. Tokelau is a New Zealand dependency, with a population of about 1,500 people. Its borders are still closed, apart from a ship that drops off supplies from Samoa each fortnight. Vaccination has been mandated, and so far the country has had no cases of COVID-19. This is a village rule, and this is the decision of the local council who runs the island and the community. And we have the law of Tokelau, but we also have this local council who has the authority over their, their village. The general manager of the office of the Council of Nukunonu, Asi Pasilio, says the translation of Tunoa to house arrest has created a major misunderstanding. They can move around. Their, their house is right beside the sea, so they can go for a sea swim. They can move around their area, but not outside of their home boundary. She says house arrest in Tokelau means something completely different to those who have grown up in New Zealand. It will take someone to come here and live our life here to understand what we mean by house arrest and council authority and communal living. Yes, of course, you make your own decision here, but doing things in a communal manner is very common. This is a frustration echoed by council members. At a meeting last week, one member said Mr Patelesio, who used to live in New Zealand, does not understand the significance of the culture because his family has not lived in Tokelau long enough. The Tokelau government national general manager, Aukositino Vitale, says it is a culturally complex issue and urges people to take a step back before taking to social media. They're not being locked in the houses and guarded by police to make sure they don't come out of their house. They are being visited by family, close friends who keep them food. Even I also go and take them food. You know, there are no restrictions as such. It's just that they've been asked to be isolated. I mean, and I think that's the perspective that I, that I think is being misrepresented. They're not prisoners. Mr Vitale says concerns are mounting over the spread of misinformation by the family. It's really promoting hatred towards the, the government uh, of New Zealand, towards the Prime Minister of New Zealand, towards uh, the administrator, the then administrator of New Zealand, you know, by bringing their past and everything else, calling them notorious murderers and all that. And I think our locals have been uh, sort of influenced by that. New Zealand's government has declined an interview, but in a statement says the former administrator, Ross Ardern, received a number of communications in connection with Dokelau's decision to apply the cultural practice of Tunoa to those who choose not to be vaccinated. Mahelino Patelesio says a great deal of mistrust remains despite hearing this response. I'm not sure what's going to happen, but if... It's to do with getting injected on condition of us getting injected, then we, we have to refuse. At the moment, you must be vaccinated to move around freely in Tokelau. It would be really great if people could actually see it from a Tokelau lens. You know, it, it's not that we're punishing them like slaves or anything like that. And as the Taupulinga had said to him, you know, we care for you, we still love you, and this is your house, this is your father, who you address your issues with. 
a message of love and care from Tokelau elders. All the while, Alcositino Vitale receives a barrage of hate mail. My inbox is just uh, <laughs> bombarded by them. They haven't been to Tokelau, so they have no understanding of, of the hardship that we all go through. Not necessarily just the family, also us, you know, as advisors. So I think it, it, it will be really peaceful that those people do not send hate message, but send message of support to both sides because they're both struggling with the issue. Tokelau officials are preparing for the possibility of COVID-19 at the border, with the first repatriation flight through Samoa expected in late August or early September. That brings us to the end of Pacific Waves for today. Remember, you can download us free to your device from Spotify, iHeart or Apple Podcasts. And if you're using Apple, please leave us a rating so others can also find us. Thank you, Tomas, and look at me for next time more.